Oh, I pray you are all enjoying this beautiful day. Um, thank the Lord that uh, it's not snowing, and it, I think it will stop from here on out, but I don't know what the Lord has in store for us, but, you know, that's okay. It's good. It, it, it stretches our faith to continue to pray that we don't, uh, we don't have to worry about so. Now, the last uh, couple of weeks when I thought I was just going to continue on with that, so... If you would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and while you are turning there, uh, we'll pray. So, Father, we come before you, Lord, and we just ask that, Lord, that you would just meet us. Father, meet us today in our deepest need, Lord. You know what we have need of, Father, and sometimes we can't even utter it. But, Lord, you, you see us where we're at. You see us in, in this time and Father, for those of us that really, whether it's a physical ailment or, Father, some situation going on that we need you to intervene, help us to know, Lord, that you are faithful. Father, you are the faithful and true witness. And, Lord, we can put our total trust in you, that, Lord, you will never let us down. You will never be too busy for us. You will never uh, be uh, one that we cannot approach, Lord that you are a loving and just God. And Lord, I just pray that, Father, we would invite you into our hearts, Lord. Have your way in our lives. Father, whatever you're going to put your finger on today, Lord, help us to realize it's not as important as you. So, Lord, that you would uh, receive all the glory, that you would receive all the honor. And I would pray, Lord, that you would uh, please just touch Pastor Ray, Father, just heal him, Lord, uh, especially his lungs with the issues, Lord, that he has every year and and I just pray that you would heal him and father for Lydia too I pray you would heal her and and there's so a whole host of others that are even here now Lord that just need your healing touch Jehovah Rapha I just pray that you would heal them father just meet us Lord in this place father as we read your word help it to be more than just mere words Lord help us to realize Lord that we need to act upon these things and father that you would be clearly visible in our life to the world around us Father, so we just give this time to you, Lord. Meet with us now, we pray, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So we're going to continue on here in chapter 4, but I would actually, I know this sounds kind of odd, but I would actually like to back up two verses because there's something that there's really no break in this when Paul was writing this letter to Timothy. And I just wanted to back up to the last two verses uh, verses in chapter 3, which is actually verse 16 and 17. And so, if you will look with me, please, it says, all, in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Uh, how much is all? All is all. All is all. All doesn't mean some or most. It means all. And yet, Unfortunately, there are some believers and even teachers of the Word of God that teach that not all Scripture is inspired by God because some concepts might be too difficult to understand or too fantastic and deemed unnecessary. And when you first open your Bible in Genesis, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1.1. Now, if you say, well, yeah, that's right, you know, God created the earth in the beginning. So 
if you have no trouble believing that, you shouldn't have any trouble believing all the other stuff that follows it. So it begs the question, you know, I remember years ago hearing Pastor Chuck that he taught that the real problem doesn't lie in your perception of the supernatural and it doesn't uh, rely on your belief in the miraculous. It, it's rather your concept of God and who he is. So how big is your God? Is he big enough to handle all your problems or all of a sudden your problems are too big for a God that spoke into existence everything that we know and understand? You know, it's interesting, this uh, woman, um, I believe this is the originator of this quote, Evelyn Underhill made this statement, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. And I appreciate what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He said, a God who let us prove his existence would be an idol. So Paul is telling Timothy here that scripture, all scripture, is God-breathed. That as he put into the hearts and lives of the prophets, of the, the disciples, and all of those that would pen the scripture as we know it today, that it was literally God influencing everything that they wrote. And that it was really him being the author of all these things. And I find it awesome that he's the author of our faith as well. As he's writing us out. It says that we are his poem, his unfinished work. And he's writing our life. And I find that really awesome. Because that tells me that he's in control. If somebody's writing you a letter, you don't charge in and say, well, what are you writing? I don't like the way you're writing that. Change that, you know. When you're addressing it to somebody personally, you know intimately who you're writing to. And the same thing with the Lord. When he's writing these things on your heart and he's speaking these things into your life, it's an intimate thing. And he knows where you're at. He knows what you have need of. And you think, well, you know, I can figure it out. Well, you, you might be able to figure it out for a time. But when you yield to him and you say, you know what, Lord, have your way in my heart. Write in my heart what your word is and that I won't forget it just as David said. So Paul is telling Timothy that it's important that, that we continue on in God's word because it's authoritative. It's, there's, no, there's no questioning that it is the word of God. If you truly believe that, then it has a series of benefits that he talks about. It has something that's practically applicable into your life. And the first thing that he says is it's good for doctrine, that you have a right understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, what we are and our nature, what sin is and the world we live in, and God's plan for our redemption and the hope of heaven. And then he says that it's good for reproof, to give us an understanding of God's will for us in our life and bring us back into line when we begin to stray from that. The third thing he says here is correction, to show us when we are wrong in our actions or our thinking and to reveal what is acceptable to God. And the last thing he writes here is instruction in righteousness. You know, exhortations of, of our life and how it's to go in a way that pleases God and brings us into fellowship with him and with other believers. And he says that when you do all those things, it's profitable to you. It builds you up. It strengthens you. 
if you don't have these things in your life, you begin to weaken and, and you begin to allow certain things to pass. And, and as time goes on, you begin to kind of drift and kind of walk away. And, and you don't even realize it at times. I remember um, Raul Reese taught about him and those guys used to all go surfing. And I know because when I lived in California for a time, I used to love surfing. You can't really do it here. Um, it's really kind of cold for that sort of thing. But I used to love surfing, and, and he talked about this thing that was very relatable to us as being surfers, that you would start to, when you get caught in the riptide or when you get caught in the current, you start to drift from where your current position is. And, and he said that he gave the keys, because usually that's what you do. If you have any valuables, your wallet, your keys and stuff, you give it to the lifeguard and you put it at the station there, and then you go get it after you're done. But what happens is, is all the lifeguard stations all look the same. And so as you're surfing and you're not paying attention or whatever, you slowly drift down the coast. And he said that he got into this argument with one of the, one of the lifeguards because he was like, well, where's my keys? Did you lose my keys and all this stuff? And the guy's like, sir, I don't even know who you are. And he's like, no, I'm sure of it. I brought it in here. Well, he didn't realize that he had drifted, you know, almost a mile down shore and it was a totally different place. And that's what happens with us. And until we come to that place, we don't realize that we're drifting. And that's why we need to constantly have an intake of God's word because it is profitable. Just like Paul's telling Timothy here, it's profitable for you. It, it, it gives you, as he says in the next verse, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word prepares us for God's work. That we would have a clear direction of what God requires of us. You know, the prophet Micah would write, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's not about having all the answers, but rather it's knowing where to go to get them. So a right doctrine will produce a right walk, and that's what we need to seek, um, is healthy teaching of the Word of God. You know, and, and the Lord tells you, test these spirits. Don't just accept what everybody tells you. In fact, I don't want you to believe what I tell you. You need for yourself to go and, and like the Bereans, search the scriptures daily and see if that's actually what God's word is telling you. Because God's going to speak into your life. If you really want to hear what he has to say, trust me, he's going he's to talk to you. And he's going to reveal himself to you. So now we will uh, continue on here in chapter 4. So uh, Paul says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Now Timothy is being commanded by Paul here in the presence of God and Jesus to continue to spread the gospel for a short time because he knows that there's going to eventually be a final judgment. He understands that. In fact, all the apostles understood that very well because Jesus talked about that. He says, there's going to come a time where I'm going to come back and, and you're going to know it. And there's going to be a final judgment. Now, the thing that he says here is he says, he or who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So there's two judgments that, that Paul is referring to here. Now the first judgment being at Jesus' second coming, which is written in Matthew's gospel, 
if you want to make a note of that in chapter 25 and, and verse 32, excuse me. And the second being the great white throne judgment in heaven recorded by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. And that's in Revelation 20, verses 11 and 12. And he says, there will be a time you will have to give an account for the time that has been given to you and what you've done with it. Now, that doesn't mean that your salvation is dependent upon this. Salvation is a gift. It's not a reward. It's given to you freely, even though it costs Jesus everything. That's not what salvation is. This is determined, or what is being said here, is what will determine what kind of reward you will receive when you get into heaven. And there's one of two places that you can stand when you get to heaven or when you stand before the Lord. The first is you can stand in your own righteousness. And according to Isaiah, our righteousness is as filthy rags. You know, we, our righteousness, no matter how good we think we are, you know, I help that, you know, ex forgive the expression, I help that elderly lady across the street or, you know, and I brought cookies to so-and-so. And, -so, and that's, that has nothing to do with God's kingdom and his work. Even though he loves us to love other people and it's a, and it's a, a blessed example, it matters the motivation of your heart. Where is your heart at? Now, the second place that you can stand is in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And as Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And that's in Philippians 3.9. You know, Jesus gave the apostles a final command that we were to go into all the nations and preach the word and preach the gospel. And that's, that's what Paul is exhorting Timothy here. He's saying, look it, I know it's going to be tough. I know, I, believe me, I've had my share of experiences, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but he says, you need to do this. This is not, this is not like a, a here and gone uh, issue this is something that is very serious because you are dealing with the souls of people. You are dealing with their eternity. Don't just shut people off. It's very easy for us to do that as human beings. I know from time to time I get frustrated with people. I don't want to share the love of Christ with them because it's like, you know, I feel like at times like John and James, you know, Lord, call down fire from heaven and burn them up because I'm tired of hearing about it, you know. But in reality, it's like, Lord, help me to realize that they will be eternally separated from you. They will have no, no interaction with you ever again, ever. They'll never see the light again. They'll never understand what that is. They'll just be in constant torment. Help me to realize the finality of when you leave this place, that's it. Just like when Jesus gave the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. He says, you know, and the rich man was calling out to Father Abraham, you know, let me tell my brothers and let me do this and all this stuff. And he says, no, you've had your time. You've had your time. What have you done with it? This is the time that was my time, really. What have you done with this time that was given to you? Now you're going to have to deal with the consequence of your action. Like the word says, we're a victim of our own iniquity. So, you know, too many people in Again, even in the church, too many people preach from the word 
but they don't teach the word. And that's what you need. If you really want healthy sheep, you need to be taught the word. Because the enemy knows the Bible better than any of us. I'm going to tell you right now, Billy Graham didn't even know the Bible as, as well as Lucifer does. He knows it so well that he can so subtly, in a way, just convince you that this is really the right thing, and this is really, you know, it's not so bad. You owe it to yourself, you know, just, it's okay. But you know what? You need to know the Word of God, because like Jesus, when the enemy comes in the wilderness, in the time of testing, when the enemy comes, you can use his word to defeat the enemy, because that is your power, is the Word of God. In his word, there is power. In my words, there's no power. In my words, it's just like, my words might as well be useless, but in God's word, there's power. And ministry can be a, a, a very demanding thing, as many of you that serve in any capacity understand that. It requires a lot. It requires a lot of your time, a lot of your devotion, a lot of your uh, whatever makes you you. It requires that. But don't be afraid. Don't be like the, the people that are, well, you know, I don't know if I really want to do this. Don't be afraid because just like God did for Joshua, he held the sun still in the sky. He's God. He can do anything. Again, it comes back to how big is your God? Is your God not capable of these things? Then why fear? Why stress? As he tells us, worry doesn't benefit you anything. It doesn't, doesn't change who you are. It doesn't add to your stature or your height. Or really what's being said is it doesn't add anything to your life. Why worry about it? And I'm not saying that you're not going to think about it, okay? I'm not telling you to be like a mindless zombie and just have the word keep going in and be like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, and then not, you know, living it out. He knows that we're emotional beings. He knows that we're going to think about these things. You know, he knows that we're going to think about the the the... The, the son or daughter that's lost, that we love, that we would love to have them come back into our life, or the, the parent that, that has nothing to, to do with us, or, or he knows that. He understands that. He's not, he's not a God that's afar off. He knows exactly what makes us up. That's why he, even at the death of his friend and, and the, the unbelief of Martha, he cried. Because he's like, if you, if you just understood if you, if you only believed that I do know you, I know you so much, and I love you so much, if I didn't love you this much, why would I come here? Why would I give my life as a ransom for you? So now, in verse 17, it says, or I'm, excuse me, um, the other thing I would like to point out here is that he also knows that it's, possible for you to depart from that truth because of the fear of the unknown. And as human beings, we don't always know what the outcome is going to be. And a lot of times, God purposely designed it that way so that we don't know what the outcome is going to be. Because if you knew everything that was going to happen from now till the end of your life, what purpose would faith serve? Nothing. It would be purposeless. You already know all the answers. You already know what the outcome is going to be. You don't really have to trust God. You're like, well, I guess I'm just going to go through all the steps and end my life. But faith requires us to believe in things we cannot see. And that's what God requires of us because he says in Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So in verse 3, and this is where he's going to talk about these things that you're going to, 
you're going to witness this, and we will be witnesses to this as we are seeing, many of us are seeing a falling away from the church and, and realizing that people are getting drawn away into their own ideologies. So he says in verse 3, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Now, Paul gave Timothy a similar warning in his first letter to him in uh, chapter 4 of, of 1 Timothy. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. You know, he's saying, look at this is, it's not like this might happen, it's going to happen. Understand that this is coming. Be prepared. Don't just say, well, you know, it, it might happen sooner or later. No, be prepared because it's coming. And we see it. We, I don't know how bad it, it will get before the Lord returns. I, I don't know those things. But it's important for us, like Peter, to not, you know, ask when he's being restored to ministry, if you remember uh, the account of Peter at the end of John, I think it's chapter 22, or I think it's 22, where he's, where he's restoring Peter back into the ministry. And then all of a sudden, Peter's like, well, Lord, I know what you're saying to me, but what about him? And what about John is what he's asking. What about John? He says, well, don't worry about him. I'll, I got a different plan for him. You need to worry about you, okay? Because this is, this is what you need to be concerned with. And not that you're self-centered and self-absorbed and selfish. He's saying, but you need, as the word says, to work out your faith with fear and trembling. You need to be focused in making sure you are doing what God is leading you to do, okay? Seeking his face and 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 waiting for him to reveal his will for you. And sound doctrine here is really healthy teaching, and it is required to grow. <clears throat> it's very difficult to grow in the Lord when you're only being fed scraps. You know, um, both personally, you need to be growing, and that's your own time alone with the Lord, and also corporately. I want to encourage you that we really need each other. I mean, I know you guys don't want to be around me, but we really do need each other. And I, and, and I need you. I need you because God has imparted to you all wisdom that I don't have. And he might tell you or give you a word of wisdom for me that I really need. And I need that. And we all need that. We need that interaction because it helps to build us up. It helps to strengthen us to realize where the cracks are and where the faults are and, and the help that we need. So I, I find it amazing, really, how much time we invest in the preservation and the comfort of our physical, uh, you know, our bodies. You know, and I mean, we have to eat and drink, you know, don't get me wrong, but some obsess over it. Now, here's a few statements that I think you might be able to relate to, even if it's only one. You know, if I could just lose a couple more pounds, if I could grow a few inches taller, if my muscles were just a little bigger, if I could just fit into those old jeans, if I could grow more hair. Now, I'm not saying that to be harsh, but rather it's, it's to show you how much we scrutinize over the outward. And I am so grateful at times that when I look in a mirror, it only reveals the outside. And it doesn't really show what's going on in the inside. Because I believe that if we spent the same amount of time 
in our spirit and in, in the life that the Lord has called us to in our walk with him that we do um, with our physical bodies, we would be awesome. But just like the transverse, if we spent the same amount of time in the spirit as we do in our bodies, we would look emaciated. You know, I know there's times where I feel like that, where I feel like I would be nothing but maybe just even bones, not even skin. You know, like the dry bones that we heard about last week in Ezekiel. You know, that the Lord would bring us to that place. You know, and the truth can be difficult at times because sometimes it reveals things to us that we don't want to hear. And more and more, people want to hear less and less the truth in their life. They want to hear smooth things. They don't want to hear... The, the, the things that are really confronting, that bring it to the forefront of our life and say, hey, man, you need to deal with this. Because if you don't, just like the Israelites, when they went into the promised land, God said, deal with this. Deal with it. Get rid of them all. Don't leave a remnant. But sometimes we do. We leave a remnant. And then we wonder why. Lord, why is this coming back into my life? Why am I struggling with this again? I thought this was dealt with. And the Lord says, because you didn't put it to death. That's why. So for us, it is important that we, you know, that we don't seek out places to be entertained by, you know, whatever presentation is given and then with little bits of the Bible sprinkled in. We need to seek out places where the word is taught line for line, word for word, because that is healthy teaching, and it produces healthy sheep. And Paul also remarked to the Galatians in, in uh, chapter 1 there, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to grace in Christ Jesus to a different gospel. You know, even the old prophet um, or the, excuse me, the Old Testament prophet Amos warned us in his, in his uh, book in chapter 8, 11 and 12, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word, but shall not find it. You know, there is no other sure foundation that you can build upon except for Christ and his word. Amen. And, and we're evident of that. I mean, I don't even know where I would be. I, I'd probably be dead more times over than I could tell you if, if it wasn't for the Lord. And I'm, again, I'm not saying it was all peachy and, you know, like some of these guys tell you, oh, man, when you follow the Lord, it's going to be awesome and you're never going to have another problem. Man, let me tell you, it got worse. But I know exactly who to go to. I know exactly who to put my trust in. Not in other people. And, and don't, you know, I'm not saying that as a, as a bad thing. Not that I don't trust you. I value you and love you. But I know that he is going to be faithful, even to the end, even with his own life. So in verse 4, he says, They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Turning their ears, it was really... Um, it was really kind of wild as I was doing the study for this. It reminds me of like, for many of you that are hunters, avid hunters, I know, because you're always telling me about, you know, hunting the deer with a machine gun or something. You get like 20 or 30 of them. But 
for those of you that are hunters or seen deer, have you ever watched how their ears move? And they're always like t turning them in a way where they can tell when, the, when something harmful is coming to them. They know when something bad is coming. It prepares them for what's gonna happen. And the same thing, it reminds me, although again, it's, it's, a, it's contrary to this, it reminds me of like human beings, if, if we had ears like that, we would, do the, we would do the opposite. We would turn them away from hearing the warning that we don't wanna hear it. And that's what Paul is talking about. There's people that just don't wanna hear it. So they, so they turn, turn their ears away from hearing the truth so that they can pursue their own desires with no conviction. You know, Paul wrote to, to the church at Rome in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 28 through 32. He says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Now this is the important part because he's not speaking about unbelievers. And here's what he says in the final verse. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do they do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. And that's what's going to happen. Eventually, the, the people that have been proclaiming the, the name of God and doing all of these things, they're going to come to a point where they're going to start believing all these weird doctrines and all these, you know, humanistic uh, ideology, and they're going to get drawn into these things. And again, they might not know even what's going on until it's too late. But it's important for us to be established in God's word. It's important. It's, in fact, our life depends on it. So Paul tells Timothy, but you, but you in verse 5, but you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. But you is in contrast to them. Okay, Paul is saying you need to have a life that is sanctified and set apart, that it is clearly identifiable when people look at you, they see Christ. That you're not just kind of fitting in and blending in and, you know, just kind of going with the flow and hanging out with the crowd. There needs to be evidence in your life that there is something different, that you are taking a stand. Again, regardless of what the consequence may be, you are taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ because God's going to honor that. Now, he might not reward us in this life for these things, but when we get to eternity, he will. And that's what we need to look at is the eternal reward of this, not just the temporal. Because so often, and believe me, I'm going to tell you, there are times where I'm thinking, you know what, I am just going to take it easy today. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to lay around, watch TV, let my mind turn into a, you know, a, a pile of mush and, and just waste my life and whatever. And it's so funny, the moment that I start drawing into that attitude, it's like the Lord's saying, hey, what are you doing? 
What are you doing? Do you not remember how many accounts I went through in the, in the Word and I showed you what happens when you remove yourself from the battle? Do you not remember my servant David and when he took himself out of the battle, what happened? He, he took somebody else's wife and, and, and he killed her husband. Or had her husband killed, I should say, but it, he might as well have done it himself because he ordered it. So God is saying, endure this. Endure this. It's, it's going to be tough. Endure afflictions because you're not doing it for your sake. You're doing it for my sake. Because when people see that you are not willing to, to just give up, when you're not willing to just throw in the towel, they're going to know there's something different about you. Now keep in mind, Paul is, is in prison in the Mamertine, and that wasn't a pretty sight. And I remember uh, you know, some of the things that I've read about it, where it was this horrible, nasty, dank, whatever. The, 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 I, I won't get into all the description of it, but it was just like the human waste and all this stuff, and it was just, it was just horrible. And the fact that he can tell other people, you know what, endure, endure it. It's going to be tough, but you need to endure it. And he says to fulfill your role and do the work of an evangelist. You know, Jesus told us in the Gospels to count the cost of what it would, what it would be for ministry. He says no one does anything unless they, they count the cost of what it's going to cost them. So when you serve in ministry, realize it's going to cost you something. Realize it's going to cost you, and it could cost you a lot. It could even cost you your life. But don't be afraid of that. Because the worst they can take from you is your life. They can't take your eternity. Because that you're in, you're in God's hand, and nothing's going to take you out of that. And even, you know, even Peter wrote in his first epistle... Uh, in chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial that's, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. Now, I know a lot of us don't pray that, Oh, Lord, let me partake in Christ's suffering today. Let me know what it feels like to be you know, beat up and abused and spit at and, and whatever. But he's saying, do this. Do this for Christ's sake, that when his glory is revealed, that you, being us, may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. And that's an awesome thing when people go away glorifying the name of God. You know you're doing God's work. When people go away saying, boy, that's God, man. He was a great guy. You know, that doesn't mean anything. It's God. He alone is worthy of the glory. He alone is worthy of the worship. He's the one that we need to worship and sing to. And like when we sing the songs up here. It's not like we're singing to hear, well, oh, they got perfect pitch in this section now, and these guys are, they're a little off-key, but we're going to... No, you're pouring your heart out before the Lord, saying, Lord, thank you for putting up with my ridiculousness and, and, and like bashing my head against the wall. Thank you for dealing with my foolishness. Help me to be obedient. Help me to do your work and what you've called me to. Now, we're not all called to be evangelists, but some of us are. And if that's what God's called you to, do that work. 
Don't think that you're going to try to be like a teacher or, or, or pastor if God's called you to be an evangelist. You won't. It'll be frustrating. You'll be like, why is this not working and whatever. It's amazing how you know exactly when God is in it because it's not frustrating. It's, it's like God gives you this ability and whatever. We were, um, one, of the, one of the other children's uh, Sunday school teachers and I were talking, and they were like, you know, <laughs> they were like, it's a lot of work. And I was like, yes, it is a lot of work. But you know what? The Lord's in it. That's why I don't ever get tired of it. That's why I love it. I love, I love the, the honesty of these children. When they ask some pretty pointed questions, it's like, um, I don't know if I could answer that for you. Your parents might not approve, so we'll, when they come, we'll, we'll talk about it together. So, um, so Paul is encouraging us and Timothy um, and just like Peter would say in his, in his second letter to the church, make your calling and election sure. Know that this is what God wants you to do. And, and Paul is, is telling Timothy, look at, don't give up. Don't quit. Go to the end. Don't leave anything unfinished. Stick with it. Because if you do, I'll, the Lord will take care of it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry how it's all going to work out and whatever. Don't worry about that stuff. And Paul says here in, in uh, verse 6, he continues, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Now Paul relates his last days here because he knows that, and we'll see in a couple of verses, he knows that Nero's going to have him executed at this point. And he knows it's only a matter of time before his head and his body are going to be separated. And he's speaking about something that he's very familiar with, being an avid student of the scriptures. Because if you remember, in, in, I think it's in the book of Acts, where it talks about his teacher, Galamliel, made this charge. He's like, man, I can't give this guy enough to read. He's just reading everything. He goes, that's my problem. I just can't give him enough. He just keeps reading everything. And so Paul knew exactly the, you know, what he was talking about. But he's referring to something that was done here by Jacob at Bethel. When, when God gave him the vision of the angels ascending and descending, he had the dream, as we refer to it as Jacob's ladder, of the angels coming up and down on a ladder uh, from heaven to earth. And he set up a stone there, and he poured out um, oil on the stone as a drink offering to the Lord. And later this is uh, put into the Mosaic law. But that's what he's referring to here. He's saying, my life is already being poured out. And that, that's okay. He's like, oh, man, you know, what a bummer. I'm being poured out. No, he's like, my life is already being poured out. I know that I am getting to the point where my time is done. There's not going to be anything left in me, and that'll be exactly the time that the Lord calls me to be home with him. So I don't have to worry about this. <clears throat> and he says that in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul indeed fought a good fight. If you, um, you don't have to turn there. Uh, I'm going to read this to you. If you want, you could turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 24, he tells them, he tells them of just some of the things that he endured. He says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. 
In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So this guy understands exactly what it means to be afflicted. He understands that because if you remember when he was stoning and he makes mention of that, you know, I knew this guy that whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but he, he was taken up into heaven and he saw things that were too wonderful. Now keep that in mind. This is a guy that went through all of these different things. He saw Jesus personally on the road to Damascus he went into heaven and he saw what awaited and he said, you know what? I couldn't explain this to you because it's too wonderful for the words that we even utter. It's just too wonderful. And if this is the worst that we have to endure and it's only for a short time, he's saying, Timothy, endure it well. Endure it because that's not, your eternity is not founded on these things. Your eternity is going to be with Christ, with him forever, and it's going to be awesome. You know, I, had, I worked with a guy that was constantly saying, <laughs> it was really funny. And I was glad about his honesty. I was, I was actually blessed by it. But he would always ask me, you know, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask this, and I'm going to wonder, and I'm going to say, well, Lord, well, how come, and why, and whatever. I said, when you get to heaven, you're not going to care. Amen. You're going to be like, earth? What earth? What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't care. You're going to be like, I'm in the presence of God and Jesus. I'm in, I'm in glory with the Lord. I don't care about those things anymore. It's, you know, and that's why it's important for us not to focus on these things. So no matter how bad it got, Paul realized how important it was for the furtherance of the gospel. And he knew that no matter what it cost him, he knew it was important to tell people, you know what, there's hope. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to go and be cast into outer darkness for all eternity. There's hope for you. And it's in Jesus Christ and him only. But you need to hear that, and you need to be shown that you're loved. That's why I'm coming here to tell you now, you are loved. You are loved. Jesus loved you so much he died. He's the creator. He's the one that created you, knowing all your faults, knowing all your failings, knowing all the, the shortcomings that you would have for all eternity. And he said, still, I know you. I knew you from before the foundation of the world. I knew you. I knew all the stuff you were going to do, but I still love you. I'm going to die for you. That's awesome. That's an awesome thing. And Paul also understood what it meant to finish well. Because in his letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, he tells them, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So he continues in verse 8 here of Timothy. He says, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And, do, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Like many of us, 
Paul is looking forward to the Bema seat, and that is the throne of grace that we are going to come to when the Lord is going to reward us for all the things that we have done in his name, and he'll know it. You know, we might think, oh, Lord, remember when I did that? And it's going to be like burned up in an instant. Well, I guess that wasn't that good. So, but the thing is, is we'll know what we have done correctly because the crown of righteousness is one of five crowns named in the Bible, but I'm sure there's so many other ones that are not named. I'm sure there will be hundreds, if not thousands, of crowns so that when we run this race, when we run the race, of this life when we're doing it. And again, I'm not like saying, okay, you guys go out there and start pounding the pavement, you know, and book it back to your house. I'm saying that it's, it's a race that this life is likened to, realizing that it, it requires an effort, a major effort on our part. It requires training. Do you think these guys that compete in the Olympics, they just get out there and like, you know, all right, who can run that? Are you kidding? I'd be like, uh, I feel like one of those guys that's having an emphysema attack. Like, <laughs> okay, okay, you guys go. No, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready and equipped, thoroughly equipped. As Paul was telling Timothy, we need to be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly fitted with the word of God, understanding the word, knowing what it tells us, and to be able to give an answer. When people ask to be ready in season and out of season, that means ready at all times. That means don't say, well, you know, hang on, give me, give me a couple, give an answer of the hope that lies within you. You know, you believe in Jesus Christ. Let the Lord do the talking. Don't, you know, and it's really interesting that there are times in the Bible where it says that you're going to be before these guys, and the Lord says, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't plan it out, because I have the ability to give you exactly the words to say when it's the exact right time. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times there are times where I'll have notes for a teaching, and it's like, it's like all of a sudden the Lord makes it where I can't even read what I wrote and I just have to take it on faith and all of a sudden the Lord, you know, he brings to my remembrance all things like he told the disciples in John uh, 14, 26 that the Holy Spirit would teach us all things and bring to our remembrance all things. So it's important for us to run the race and not only do we need to keep our eyes on Jesus but our hearts as well. We need to constantly have an intake of his word and we need to constantly allow them to operate in our lives. And not to worry about the crowns that we're going to receive. Don't worry about that. The crowns will take care of themselves. You just, as Paul said, fulfill your role of an evangelist. And whatever God has given to you, fulfill that role. Whether it's a teacher, whether it's somebody that prepares meals, whether it's somebody that just meets with people and sits with them to take time with them, to hear them out, to pray with them, whatever ministry the Lord has given you, do it. Do it with all diligence. Do it faithfully. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because I know there's times you want to give up. I, there's so many times I want to give up. I was even thinking about, I wonder what would happen if I didn't show up today. But... The Lord gives you the ability, the Lord gives you the ability to do this. And, 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 and any of you that have served in ministry, as I know a lot of my brothers that we talk to, the elders when we meet, we talk to how the Lord just supernaturally gives you strength when you, when you think, man, I cannot do this. You're right, you cannot do this. But Jesus says, I can. Amen. And so, and he does it. Because I've seen ways that he's worked. I mean, I get, you know, some of the brothers that go out there street witnessing and stuff and thinking, oh, man, the weather and whatever. And then all of a sudden they start praying and the Lord 
does the miraculous. And it's like he works it out, and he opens the doors, and he opens the hearts to receive with gladness the word. And, and it's a blessing. And I see these guys when they come back, and they're like, man, that was really awesome. You should have seen, you know, the way the Lord worked. And again, the glory is the Lord's. It's not ours. It's not like these guys come back and say, man, I was awfully righteous today. You know, they're like, I was just sharing the word, and God did all the work. I didn't even have to think about what I was going to say. He did it, because he does. So now Paul continues in verse 9. He says, be diligent to come quickly. And many of you can relate to this. If you've been through difficult times, if you've endured hardships and stuff, sometimes you just want somebody to be around. I mean, Paul's not superhuman here. He's not, he's not God. He's a man, just like I'm a man, and, and we're all human. We need, sometimes we just need somebody. And even if, it's they, you know, even if they don't utter a word, just the fact that they're just sitting there with us, their presence alone brings a sense of comfort that, that we just need. And so he's like, look at Timothy, be diligent, come quickly. He's like, I, I need somebody to be here with me because I know my time is, is almost over. I, I just would love for you to be here. And now he's going to give a list of people about where they are in the different areas, the, the ones that he had direct interaction with recently. He says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychius... I have sent to Ephesus. You know, this gentleman, Demas here, if you go into uh, Paul's letter to Philemon, he calls Demas his fellow laborer. So this guy was really, when, when Paul makes that kind of a statement, you knew that this guy wasn't some like sham or whatever. This guy was really on fire and working for the Lord, and, and it's awesome. But then all of a sudden, a few years later, he writes to the Colossians, or the Church of Colossae, and and Paul says, Demas greets them. Like, okay, hi, you know, still here. The real tragedy with Demas, though, is even in today, it's all too common that we see so many people that are really on fire for the Lord. The Lord's using them in a mighty and a powerful way, and they just get drawn away by the love of the things of this world. It's just so enticed, the enticement's too much for them. And realize that none of us are immune to those things. Just because you guys all struggle with different areas in your life doesn't mean that I don't struggle just the same. There's a lot of brothers that come and talk to me about, you know, some pretty deep things. And I'm like, you know, I, there's times I got thoughts going through my head. I'm like, Lord, what is going on? But that's the point is to bring them captive and say, Lord, deal with this. I can't do it. It's not in me to do it. But you can. And you can put it to a place where I don't have to deal with it anymore because I'm freed. You freed me. From this. You freed me. I don't have to go back to it. I'm free now. But the pressures of life in ministry and the possibility of losing his status and maybe even his own life was threatened, I don't know, but he just, he just gave up. You know, it's kind of like when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler that he said, you know, give all that you have to the poor and follow me. You know, because this guy came up to him and he's like, Jesus, I did this and I did this and, and I've kept all the law from my youth and, I, I, you know, I'm righteous. And he says, well, okay, give, give all that you have away and, and come follow me. And it says that he put his head down and he went away sad 
because he didn't want to give it up. He didn't want to give up the things of the world. But you know what? Jesus told him, he says, if you give these up, you'll have treasures in heaven and they'll last forever. But that wasn't an immediate fix. And that's a lot of times, unfortunately, what we get drawn into. We, we want an instant satisfaction. In fact, Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, he said in ver, or chapter 16, excuse me, verse 24 through 27, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for a soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for the Lord because when he's coming, his reward is coming with him, and we're going to experience that. And so many times he says, when I come, you are going to be in glory with me. You're going to be at the supper. We're going to feast together. I find it interesting when the Lord shows up, he says, what do you have to eat? I guess it's to see, <laughs> to see how we react to that. Okay, Lord, here, have whatever you want. Now, the other people that Paul mentions here is that they, by, you know, they had other obligations that they had to go to, and he wasn't, like, condemning them for that. You know, they had to deal with certain ministries that they had to go to and, and various other things. But I think it's pretty awesome that he's talking about that Luke is here with me. He says, Luke is with me. And if, if you remember in, in the book of Acts that so many times, so many missionary journeys and stuff, Paul talks about Luke always being with him. And Luke, as he's writing the Acts, of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Apostles. As he's writing it, he's saying, we. You'll, you'll see that a lot of times. And sometimes it's funny. Some of the smallest words we overlook. We read right past them, and we don't even, like, focus on them. That's why it's important to, you know, I, I, Lord bless you if you can read, like, five or six chapters a day. I'm lucky if I can read, like, five or six verses a day and remember it. So it's important that you take your time and you read because sometimes those little words, the Lord says, even even the little jots and stuff will last forever. My word is eternal. Even the smallest marks will be eternal. And that's why it's important for us to really uh, take our time and read the word. So Luke is with him. He's a faithful friend. And he went with him on numerous uh, missionary journeys. So he knew, he knew what the hardships were. Is, I mean, you had Barnabas that went with him and then Silas. And, and um, also he talks about Mark, which I think is really awesome. Now, Mark here is John Mark, and that's, you know, um, when Barnabas was saying, hey, let's bring Mark with us. And he's like, look, at this guy flaked out at the last moment. You know, I don't want him anywhere near me. And then, of course, they had a big fight, and then Paul went with Silas, and Barnabas went with Mark. But it's all part of God's purpose because now all of a sudden he's like, hey, bring Mark. He's profitable for me for ministry. Bring him. This guy I know the Lord can use because something changed in his heart. And I think this is important for us, too, to realize that many of us that know people that have come to church and we've known that have been in ministry and kind of drifted away and did their own thing, don't write them off. Don't, don't discount them like there's no hope for them. This is it. You know, they went too far or whatever. The Lord can always bring them back because that's the power of God. I mean, if he could bring Lazarus back from the dead, I'm sure he can bring back people into church if that's what his will is. So now, 
in verse 13, and we're going to close with these last few verses. He says, Bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Now, what an awesome example this is for Paul's desiring of God's word, even when it's, when it's the end. He's like, you know, he's like, bring the parchments, which I believe is the Old Testament. And, and I, I've, I've read a couple of different instances where the books could mean the Gospels. I don't know for sure. But I think it's really awesome because it reminds me of in this, in, in our country, when you see people that are going for lethal injection or whatever, they're, as prisoners, they're always given a last meal. And so Paul's last meal is the word of God. He's like, you know what? This is what I want my last meal to be is God's word. That's going to be the best meal for me. Now in verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Now Paul's not saying, Lord, get him. You know, although <laughs> I would like to say that, but he's not saying get them. He's saying, listen, Timothy, be careful of these people that are going to draw you into these pointless arguments that are going to seek your destruction. And how many, I'm sure every one of us has some uh, Alexander the coppersmith in our life that, that they're, they like go out of their way to make our life miserable. But he's saying, look it, you know what? The Lord will deal with him. The Lord will defend you. He'll do a far better job of defending you than you ever will for yourself. And that I know. Um, so, uh, verse 16, let's continue. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Now, this is kind of interesting. I, I find that really interesting that Paul, being with the, the Sanhedrin and the and the Pharisees as they stoned Stephen, and I'm sure that's something that lasted in his life. And he was a witness to, as Stephen was being stoned, I'm sure that he might have, because those kind of things never leave you, no matter, how, no matter how much you can numb your will or whatever, certain things just never leave you. And I think for him, it never left him. And he remembers that Stephen says, you know what, Lord, don't hold this against them. And I think in, in Paul's life, he is now to the point that Stephen had that kind of love for other people. You know what, Lord? They all forsook me. They all threw me to the wolves, but don't hold it against them. You know what? Save them. That's important. So now in verse 17, he said, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached full, fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear, also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is like Paul is coming to the end, and he's like, Lord, Lord I, just, I just want to worship you. I just want to worship you because, Lord, you have been faithful. You've done it. You've brought me through. And, Timothy, he's going to do this for you. The Lord's going to stand with you just like he stood with me. Even though everybody else might have ran away, he's still going to be there. He's still going to be faithful. And throughout the word, the Lord, the Lord assures us that he will never leave us or forsake us. And I'll only give you a couple of verses for you note-takers. Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 8. Joshua 1, 5. 1 Chronicles 28, 20. And Hebrews 13, 5 where he assures that he will never leave us or forsake us. Now in verse 19, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aqu or, greet Prisca 
and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trumpheus I have left in Miletus sick. Now this is interesting because God doesn't always heal everybody immediately, and this is a testament to that. So I want to just point that out to you. I have left him in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Ibelus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. These final instructions are for Paul to continue to encourage these people in their ministries and where they are, as, as an exhortation to one another. In verse 22, it says, The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. The close of this letter is the sum of the entirety of Paul's life, grace. And he knew that well. And that's an awesome exhortation, I should say, for us, grace. So like Paul, by God's grace, let us run the race well. If we've gotten off the path, if you feel like you, you, you've strayed away, Ask the Lord to put you back on the path of the righteous. Ask him to restore your walk. There's always hope. Don't let the enemy rip you off. Don't let him tell you it's over. It's not over. When you're in heaven, then it's over. Then, then your faith will be by sight. And never forget that where sin abounds, grace abounds more. <laughs> and the Lord will see you through because he's faithful. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you are such a loving God, you are such a gracious God, and Lord, that you, you just are so long-suffering with us, Lord, so patient. Help us to be patient with others, Lord. Help us to realize, Father, their desperate need for you. Help us to see past the circumstance, Lord. Help us to not look at the outward, but, Father, to, to in some way see their heart like you do, Father, to realize their need for you. Father, help us to not write people off. Help us to not reject them. But Father, help us to encourage them. Help us to share the love that you have for them, that you died for all of mankind, Lord, not just some or most, but all. And Father, I just pray that you would work in our lives today. Father, that you would have your way. And Lord, if we have grieved your spirit, if we have quenched you in any way, Lord, that you would forgive us. Father, restore us to a right relationship with you, that we would heal, hear that still small voice. Father, that we would come to a place where we would hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Father, be glorified, be magnified today in our lives, be lifted high, that you would draw all men to yourself, Lord. Help us to be examples to those around us. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen.